Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. The train pulls into the station as a Perth-bound train, a six-car train pulls into the station at Stirling at around about 10 to 9. Um, there's a small group of people waiting to get on, including the gentleman um, who, uh, as he's getting on the train, it would seem that he, he, he goes about taking up a position in the doorway, and as he's sort of settling himself into that position, his foot slips, his left leg slips off the edge of the train and between the train and the platform, and he slips down and gets stuck. It's a less than five centimetre gap, and he's stuck, well stuck. So there's a number of uh, moves taken to try and pull him out, and it, it's not working. So at one stage, they asked the passengers in the train to move to the other side of the train, thinking that the weight transference might tilt it back slightly. Uh, that doesn't work, so then everyone gets off the train, all six carriages get off the train and organise themselves with, with our blokes sort of directing the, the, uh, the movements, organise themselves to line up along the side of the carriage and um, there's, uh, they set about actually pushing it back, so just rocking the train slightly backwards so that it opens up the gap. Um, and once they get organised, uh, there's presumably a one, two, three push, one, two, three push, and they pull him out, and uh, it's people power saves the day. And it's really heartwarming, I think, to find an, an, an incident like this where everyone pitched in. I mean, there's 50, 60 people all pitch in, men, women, children, push the train back to help someone who's in a bit of trouble and could really have been at risk of serious injuries. The whole incident from go to, uh, from go to woe was probably about 15 or 16 minutes, um, and it gave time for the ambulance to get there, but when he was freed, we handed him over to the Ambos, but he, he chose to, um, you know, they had an initial look at him, but he, he uh, departed, left them, and went back to the station and waited for the next train and caught the 9.30 into Perth. I saw that, um, yeah, I saw that video just in the last week. I think it's very, very recent from Perth, Australia, and uh, it really struck me as a cool picture uh, not just of what some people can do, but what the church can do. It, it's, it, it's this idea that when all these folks got together, I mean, they, they tried stepping aside or whatever, but it really took all of them. And if you noticed, if you looked at it, almost every single individual was up there pushing against the side of the train. And when they did, it, was, it wasn't a lot, but you could see perceptibly just a little bit, the train rocked back, and that was enough for them to pull the guy out get his leg out. You know, it was a freak kind of thing and all, but you never know when something like that's going to happen. And it's so wonderful when people join together and everybody doing just their little part makes a difference. And it's true in the church. It's amazing what we as the church can do when we all work together, when we all do our part. Um, in our better moments, we can come together to be generous, to, to help others, because God created you and me, created all people, ultimately to be that way, because he created us in his own image, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1. And, and in creating us in his own image, that means we have many of the same characteristics that God has in himself, and an inherent one of those is that God is a giver. It's part of his nature. Jesus taught us this so well, John 3.16, which many of us have grown up knowing, for God so loved the world that he gave. Yeah, that he gave 
his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is an incredible picture of our God. And our God is generous. And he created you and me to be generous, to be generous with our time, to be generous with our talents or abilities, to be generous with our resources, our treasure, because all of those things are things that he first entrusted to us. We wouldn't have time if God didn't create it. If, we, if God had not created us as individuals, there would be no life and talents, our abilities, whatever they may be. God has done some incredible things. And, and yet all too often, because sin has entered the picture and it has led us to become self-centered, so that all too often, instead of using what has been entrusted to us for the common good, we tend to take. We become takers rather than givers of all that we've received. And so we have an inclination in doing that as we start thinking about what we might be missing or what someone else has, that we start focusing more and more on, on what we don't have or what so-and-so has, or what our neighbor has, or what that kid at school has that I don't have, and it's not fair, and it's not right, and I, I, I get caught up, and I, and I get focused on that more than on what I do have right now, in this very moment, in this very place. But when we make Jesus Christ the Savior of our lives and the Lord of our lives, his Holy Spirit comes to live in us, to begin transforming us. Quite honestly, there are different ways to think of it, but one of the ways to think of it is he's transforming us back into the, the person we were first created to be in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, before sin entered our lives and began to distort the image of God that is present in us. And as he does that, we increasingly we turn outward. We don't get so focused on what we don't have and what other people do, but on what we are blessed to have and how we can use that to bless others. And the cool thing is God promises us that we will always have plenty of ability and capacity to be generous if we just realize it, if we see it that way. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you will always be rich enough to be generous. And we, we read that passage, and the first thing we, of course, we probably think of is our treasure or our money, and, it's, and it's, certainly, it's certainly true there, but it really applies to every area of our lives. It applies to the time I have. I, I have time. I may not be managing it well, but I have time. In fact, no one has more time today than I do. We all have 24 hours. We all have talents. Some talents are more recognized than others. Some people it may value certain talents more than others, but everybody has talents. We, we all have abilities. We all have life. We all have families. There's so much that has been entrusted to us, more than we can imagine, more than we can picture, and it all matters. It all makes a difference. The issue is not how much or how little I have. The real issue is what do I do with what I have? Am I using it well or am I squandering it? Am I caught up so much in what someone else has that I fail to see and appreciate and enjoy 
all that I already have. We, we may think we don't have much to give. We may think there's little we can do, but I want to tell you, that is a lie straight from hell. God, if God created each one of us, if he created you, and he created you in all the fullness that entails, then whether you, by your estimation, have a lot of gifts or a few, you have everything you need to be a blessing, to be of use to God, to make a difference in this world, and to experience his best. And so instead of looking at what someone else has and how good they are and we get depressed, we look to Jesus and we remember how blessed we are to have what we do have. Sometimes, unfortunately, it takes an accident or a tragedy for that to come to mind. Don't wait for that. God has already blessed you and you may think oh there's so little I can do it it can't make much difference I I don't have like her or like him or whatever and 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 for that reason I love this African proverb if you think you're too small to make a difference try spending the night in a closed room with a mosquito been there done that it is miserable right little mosquito can make a difference how much more can you how much more has God gifted you if we just simply use it for his glory and the amazing thing is in using our time and using our talents and using our treasure and everything that we have in God honoring ways it grows us spiritually in fact some, there are some aspects of our spiritual growth that will only come as you and I give of our time, give of our talents. And, and when we avoid doing that, when we fail to do that, then we're in fact stunting our spiritual growth. Excuse me, We're stunning what God wants to do, what he's able to do. Jesus himself looked at it this way. He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus Christ, Son of God, Lord and King sees his calling to be that of a giver, to be generous, to serve. Then for those of us who have made the conscious decision to follow him, that needs to be our goal too. That's what we're trying to be like. We're trying to be like him. Our, 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 our understanding is, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're called to be more and more like him all the time. And that's the journey that we're on. Jesus told a a powerful parable about this on on serving or giving of of whatever it is, time, talent, treasure, whatever. And I want us to spend some time looking at it this morning. Um, It's one that you've probably heard of, the, the parable of the talents, if you've been in church any length of time. But sometimes we hear something and we think we know it or maybe we know it too well and we don't hear what it's really trying to say to us today. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, or if, if you have your uh, mobile device, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and go to the live page and the notes there, or we have in your, in your um, bulletins this insert that you can use to follow along and take notes and, and, and go through this. Uh, let me just set the stage a little bit for this passage. 
Uh, the last few chapters of Matthew take place in the last week of Jesus' life here on earth before he was uh, crucified. Um, Palm Sunday has already come and gone for Jesus, and he's now in Jerusalem during the day each day, teaching, hanging out at the temple. And uh, at the beginning of this, this sec- section of, of Scripture, or Matthew 24, uh, Jesus and his disciples are together. They, they have, let me show you a map, just to kind of give you, give you a little bit of a thing. Here is Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. Um, this was what was the original uh, lower city it's called here, or the city of David, from the time of King David, a thousand years earlier. It's grown to encompass all this area. And this is the temple and the surrounding area. This is the fortress where Jesus was taken on, on Good Friday and, and whipped and beaten. And you can see over here Golgotha where he was uh, uh, hung on the cross. Now, the geography, you can't really tell too well from here, but down here is the Hinnon Valley and then the Kidron Valley, and this is a rise. This is a, is a mount, and this is a mount over here. This is the Mount of Olives, so you would come, this is where Jesus entered on Palm Sunday. He came down here to the valley floor and then back up into the temple. And if we looked at it today in the next picture, this is what you would see. Here is the wall of the city. This is the, now the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim shrine. The original temple would have been standing right about here. And it would have stood up above everything. It would have been very, very visible. And you could see the valley floor coming down. And then it comes back up, this Mount of Olives. These are olive trees. And in the, in the passage we're looking at today, Jesus and his disciples have come out of Jerusalem, down the valley, up into the, the olive trees, probably sitting under a tree, the, the 13 of them, looking out across this valley, and they're looking almost straight at the, the temple, this, this magnificent structure that represented God's presence here on earth. And Jesus is telling them that the temple, after he's gone, is going to be destroyed. And and it was. In 70 AD, the Romans would uh, uh, overturn everything and destroy, once again, Jerusalem. And at some later time, Jesus says, he is going, in fact, to return. So the disciples ask, when is this going to happen? And and, and what's going to be the signal? How are we going to know when you're coming back, Jesus? So we see in chapters 24 and 25, Jesus talking about this. He tells them that in this in-between time, there's going to be persecution. You're going to be, you're going to, people are going to get upset with you because of your faith, because of your belief. And, and, um, you'll be persecuted. And then he gives a picture in Matthew 24 later of some of the signs that will uh, come up before he arrives. He from there goes into a couple of parables that lead into what has come to be known then, again, as the parable of the talents. So let's walk through this uh, and, and see what Jesus wants to say to us here. Beginning in verse 14, it says, again, it, and Jesus here means the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about. The kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, Jesus, right off the bat, establishes that all the property that is being given away belongs to the master. It's his. It's his choice to use it as he was. And he chooses to entrust it to three of his servants, 
for them to act as stewards. We, we looked at that word last week. A steward is one who manages the property of another, who takes care of something that doesn't belong to them. We could say, we are stewards of, of our lives. Our lives are, are not ours initially. They are given to us by God. We could say we are stewards of resources. We could say we are stewards of time. And we know that when somebody abuses that trust, it makes us mad. If the FedEx guy comes to your house, you have a package to send, and he takes the package, instead of what you have entrusted to him to deliver where you want it, if he takes it home and he opens it and plays with it or watches it or whatever it is or wears it, you wouldn't be real happy, would you? That wasn't what you intended when you entrusted something of value to him to manage to the right place. And the same thing's true for us. We are the stewards of all that God has created It has been entrusted to us to manage in a way that is pleasing to him who is the ultimate owner. And that includes our time, our talent, our treasure, even our lives. All of those things are gifts from God because he chose to create. He chose to give it to us. Apart from that, there would be nothing. There would be no existence, no creation, no universe, none of that. And the implication here is that we then are to care for it to use it in a manner that would be appreciated and and approved of by the one who gave it. Just as you would want the FedEx guy to handle your package with care. You wouldn't want him playing football with it, kicking it across, you know, the warehouse. That wouldn't go real well. The next thing we notice here is that the master entrusts a different amount to each servant based on the servant's ability to manage it. In other words, he doesn't give to each of them one, or each of them two, or each of them five. He gives one, five, one, two, one, one. Why? Because somehow in their abilities, he is discerned that that's what they're able to handle. And there's a good thing there. It says he, they can handle it. He's not giving them too much. He's giving them something appropriate for who they are and where they are at this point. It is the relative value of ability then is the same. We also need to understand a talent, as it's used here in this parable. A talent actually was a measure of weight, uh, typically silver, and so that's what determined its value. So for these servants, the talent's value, and get this, the talent's value was probably equivalent to 15 years worth of wages. Now, you've got to think about that. So in other words, you're not entrusting to the FedEx guy a shirt, a t-shirt. You're entrusting to him your bank account for the next 15 years. Your paycheck for the next 15 years. Not just your paycheck in the next two-week period or at the end of the month. Your paycheck every month for 15 years. I mean, that's take your annual income, add a zero on the end of it, and then half that and add it again, and that starts to get a picture of, for us of how much he entrusted to the third servant. 15 years. And if you go, you go all the way up to the first servant who got five talents, that's more than he could make in a lifetime. An entire lifetime. More was entrusted to him than he had. That is saying a lot. That's saying a lot of trust to, in, to put that much into those guys' hands. And God has entrusted us so much. 
He's entrusted us with our lives. Our lives aren't our own. It, it, we're, we're, we're not our, we aren't given our lives so we can do with them whatever we want. We're given them to use them in God-honoring ways that build the kingdom. Remember, this is a parable about the kingdom of God. They're given for a reason. But when we get stuck on what is in it for me, or what I don't have that someone else has, we become dissatisfied, don't we? That's why, again, our focus is so critical here. We have been entrusted with so much. More than, quite honestly, most of us can even begin to grasp, I would suspect. I know it is for me. So Jesus goes on in verse 16. He says, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. So each servant takes what he has and he invests it somehow, and the five guy gets five more, the two guy gets two more. Now, you could say, well, the the five guy got a lot more than the two guy, but if you look at it, each of them doubled what was given to them. Verse 18, though, the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So, in the end, he's going to just return to to the master exactly what was given to him, what was first entrusted to him, nothing more, but also nothing less. So, he took no risk, none whatsoever. Seemed to be a safe play. Eliminate all the risk. But is it? Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now, we don't know how long it's gone, but, but clearly it's intended to be a long time. And for our purposes, if we're talking about Jesus and the kingdom, then we know he's been gone nearly 2,000 years. Or if that's too much to to calculate, think of it in terms of he's been gone at least longer than your lifetime and mine. And so we're talking about a whole lifetime of opportunity to put into use what God has entrusted. But what Jesus is making clear is that when he returns, it's not going to just be, give me what, I mean, what you gave you, thank you. There's going to be a judgment, a time for us when our faith and our actions are going to be examined by God. Right after this parable, Jesus tells another parable. He's a long stretch here of a couple of three chapters of him teaching. In this next parable, he, he indicates that some are going to be surprised because they said they were committed to him, but in fact, he's going to lead them out. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And so it would seem like He's really pointing something that our actions matter. It's important for us to understand that there is a lot on the line here. How you and I live our lives today, how we use what's been entrusted to us, how we live by faith has huge eternal implications. In verse 20, it says, the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. Look, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Man, the master is thrilled. He is so pleased with the work of his first servant. Because though he'd entrusted for that servant's standpoint a lot, the servant had not disappointed him and in fact had doubled the investment. Now, you, maybe you've thought about this, maybe you haven't. But 
As I've seen this passage over the years, what this, the master says to me is maybe one of the most significant statements. And I'll just tell you, when my time comes, whether I die first or Jesus comes back, you know, I, I want more than anything to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I desire more than anything. Now, you might think, well, you're a preacher. I mean, he's say it to you. Listen, the point of this parable is, continues to be about are we faithful with that which has been entrusted to us? So I'm, on the, I'm in the same boat as everyone else. Have I taken what God has entrusted to me? Sure, my life, but also in some, some degree, you and your lives and your spiritual growth and this community and those beyond us. See, we're not our own. We aren't created just to go through life and, you know, collect a paycheck and at the end of our days check out and that's it. We're created for a purpose. We're created to make a difference. You're created for a purpose. You're created to make a difference. And so it matters what we do with that which we have been given to us. So I, I, I want to hear that. God, have I been faithful with all that you entrusted to me? Have I, have I lived in a way that pleases you? Because I don't want to... It's not about whether or not I go to heaven. It's whether or not I please him. The goal for me is not just getting to heaven. If, you, if that's your goal, you're missing out on most of what God is trying to say. The goal is to know him. The goal is a relationship. And aren't there people in your life that you want them to be proud of you? Aren't there people that you want to look and you have done things that, that made them smile? That's what I want to be able to do with God. And, and I think God is inviting all of us into that setting. And here's the thing. Jesus is telling this story about a servant. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. No servant ever got to do that in those times. It's a little hard for us to kind of grasp. But they were servants. They were slaves. They weren't entitled to eat at the master's table every once in a while or get a soft bed. But suddenly, Jesus is saying that, that we who are his servants, that we get to enter into the, 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 the joy of the master, the happiness of the master. Whatever makes him smile across the face of this universe, he says we get to enter into that, to, make, to experience that. The master says it's the servant's good works that gain him this and even more responsibility. Now, I can't, I can't make any assumptions. I can't, I'm not talking here specifically about salvation, but, which I can't earn, but how faithful am I being 
with what Jesus has entrusted to me or to you. I mean, it clearly mattered to Jesus because I have welcomed him into my life because I have said I am, I am not my own. I have, I have been bought for a price, the New Testament says. I am his. I have surrendered myself and made Jesus my Savior, my Lord, whom I want to please. I don't want to serve him because I have to. I want to serve him because I get to. The creator of the universe. And, and if that is not the goal of someone who says they have professed their faith in Jesus and, and who has been baptized, then that person needs to ask themselves if they really made a commitment to Jesus. Is it real or was it just something to get by with, to check the box, to say I did it? Remember, a big part of what Jesus is saying here is that how we live indicates if we've really made a decision uh, uh, to place our faith in him or not. And, and that is what he's going to judge. Jesus doesn't simply look at, at how, you know, outward actions without also looking at the heart. We think we might be fooling someone. We think we might be pulling the wool over somebody's eyes. But the truth of the matter is, you know, most of the time, given enough time, nobody is going to continually fool you or me. And none of us are certainly going to fool Jesus who knows everything we're thinking, sees everything we do. And, and, and if that is the case, then don't you know that on that day when we meet him face to face, there's not going to be any but, 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 he's going to know. And the only question is, are we going to try to make excuses? Or are we going to own up and own what we've done? Or maybe even now start to think about life differently and live it in a different kind of way. Because here's what's cool. Look what he, he says to the second servant, verse 22. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Notice now, he's, he's only been entrusted with two talents, not five. He's less than half of the other guy. But he did double that which had been entrusted to him. In other words, the same rate of return as the first guy. And, and, and so we see here not equal work, but we do see comparable work to the level of their abilities. And here's the cool thing. The master's response to the same rate of return is exactly the same, word for word, word for word. What he says to the guy with five, he says exactly to the guy with two. So you're thinking, well, you know, I'm not as gifted as I'm touted as so-and-so. I can't do as much. Jesus doesn't care. All he concern, is concerned about is you. What do you do with what you have? Do you have five talents? Do you have two talents? Do you have one talent? Do you have a hundred talents? Do you have a half a talent? He doesn't care. He cares if you and I use that which we have been given. This is incredibly important. Jesus never seeks equal giving or equal results. He always seeks and approves equal sacrifice. It's going to look different for every one of us. 
Because we're not all the same. None of you have this fingerprint. None of us have your fingerprint. None of us have your palm print. None of us have your iris retinal scan. You're unique. God made you that way. And he's not going to judge you on someone else's standard. But he will judge you on you. And that's what matters here. Even though the results are 60% less, the servant was faithful and Jesus affirmed him exactly the same, word for word. And man, that gives me a lot of hope and encouragement because it reminds me that Jesus knows me. He knows me personally. He's not going to judge me against a Rick Warren. He's not going to judge me alongside a Bill Hybels. He's going to judge me by me. I don't have to be any other pastor. I don't have to be any other individual. I just have to be Randy. Be the best Randy I can be by the grace of God through the power of his spirit. But that's all I have to be. I don't have to be you. And you don't have to be me. Aren't you relieved? We just have to be ourselves. But, that's, but the world says you got to be like everybody else. you got to fit in. You ought to want what they have. And if you're not making enough or you're not doing enough, well, shame on you. See how this flies in the face of, of godly values. And it ought to be a relief. It doesn't matter how much you have, much or little. It matters what you and I do with what we have. We're all in the same boat. We're going to be judged for our faithfulness, not somebody else's. If we do the best we can with what we have, with God's help, that's enough to enter into the master's happiness. Isn't that great? Isn't that fantastic? But look what happens to the third servant, verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you, giving it back to you, just what you gave me, nothing extra, but I didn't lose any either. So that ought to count for something, right? Listen to what the master says. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned I would have at least received back some interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Boy, is he angry. That guy has wasted what he had. Yeah, he brought back exactly what was given to him. So what? It wasn't given to him to do nothing. It was given with him for a purpose. And so he calls the servant wicked and lazy. He's evil. He's unwilling to put, the, put out the work expected. Jesus says that's the kind of response anyone who claims to be a follower of his gets for failing to faithfully use whatever has been entrusted to us. Jesus expects action from his followers. And even interest is better than nothing. See, a lot of times we want to feel like this Jesus is, is this warm, gushy guy, you know, he's a nice guy and, and he's sweet and he's not going to, he, he's, he's just going to love and all this kind of stuff, you know? But here's a guy who is clear that there is accountability for those who choose to follow him. There is. And there's a price to pay if we're not. There's a joy to receive. There's a blessing uh, but if, it's not simply good enough to say, hey, I'm a Christian, look at me, and not ever evidence it 
in our lives. That doesn't cut it, Jesus says. You may think you're fooling somebody, but you're not fooling me. And that ought to make us humble. That ought to make us concerned. That ought to make us want to do our best by the grace of God. We won't be judged by anyone else's standards, but we will be of what we're capable of. And as we've already seen, when we do our best, Jesus' response is the same. But if we don't, there is judgment. And I don't think it's something any of us want to really give any thought to. And just to make it clear, Jesus says a little bit more. He says, for everyone who has, who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, in other words, doesn't use what has been given to them, even what he has is going to be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant out into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Faithfulness, generosity are always rewarded, always a blessing. But failing to follow through, to live our lives as Jesus desires, as givers, not takers, among other things, means we're going to be held accountable. So what does that mean? I mean, what does that in a practical manner mean? It means what you do today matters. It means what you do at home matters. It means what you're going to do at school tomorrow matters. It means how you live at work matters. And if you look around this building, if you walked up to this building today and you said, look, man, this is a big building, and there are hundreds and hundreds of people around here, and you start thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, they, they don't even know I'm here. What, what would it matter if I didn't give anything or if I didn't serve or I didn't do anything, they'd, they'd never miss it. If you were with us last week, we said out of some 1,400, 1,500 families, units who are part of this church, 600 haven't given a penny this year, like 40%. There was a very important principle that said then, I'm saying it again, and it's this. It is more important for us to give, whether it's our treasure or our time or our talent, whatever it may be, than it is for the church to receive. Because see, ultimately, this is about my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is not just about building a church. This is about working for the kingdom of which Jesus said, I will create the church, and on this rock, not even the gates of hell will prevail. This is God's work. It's not Randy's work. It's not the staff's work. It's not the council's work. And I will tell you that nothing grows you or me spiritually more and more like Jesus than living like Jesus who came to serve. In fact, there are some aspects of our spiritual growth that will not happen apart from serving. They won't. Because you won't be like Jesus. You will not live as Jesus lived. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. And that's why, honestly, we may make a big deal about it. And you, some of you think, man, they always talk about that. Or, or I hear it too much and it makes me feel guilty or, and I don't want to be around. But Here's the thing, if I was asking and t telling you this and we as a church were saying this was important because just simply we needed it, it might be pretty self-serving. But if we understand fundamentally from what the Bible tells us that serving is a part of how you grow spiritually to become more and more like Jesus, 
then it changes it, and for me anyway, it becomes something I need to tell you. And in fact, I will be accountable to Jesus if I don't tell you. I will be part of what he has entrusted to me that I have not done my part. And I would have to answer for that. We are entrusted with God's word to speak the truth in love. This isn't saying you're a bad person if you don't, but this is saying you're not fulfilling what you were created for, what he's gifted you for, what he's brought you into this community of faith to do. And not only will others be the worse for it, you'll be the worse for it. We're called to be good stewards, stewards of our time, talent, and treasure that God has entrusted to us. Each of us is one of a kind, and God created you to make some difference. And when we do our part, when each of us does it, see, if that guy, if only one car of that train, only just those guys got out and pushed, like one out of six cars, they wouldn't have been enough. It took all of the cars. If just one section of this church is doing everything, and and sometimes they quote statistics that say 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and it's in all kinds of settings. But if that's the case, look how much doesn't get done. What moved the train was virtually everybody. Almost everybody got out. Could, Could some of them push hard? No. But it took every one of them, and finally, the train rocked back just enough for that guy to get his leg out. How cool is that? They, they helped that guy. They made a difference. And here's the thing. When you and I do our part, whether it's obvious or not to the world, it's obvious to Jesus that you are making a difference. You are doing what he entrusted you to do. Now, if you don't, it doesn't mean some things aren't gonna ever happen because God can still accomplish the purposes. But here's the thing, you don't get to be a part of it. You don't get to enter into the joy of your master. You don't get to experience what it's like to change the world. To change the world by changing one life at a time. To see God make a difference. I want to tell you, there is nothing like that in the whole world. And then you won't have to stand on judgment day and explain. Here's the thing. We have, since the beginning of the year, we've had about 850 different individuals who have served in some capacity in our church through the first nine months. We have on an average Sunday 1,200 adults and hundreds more children and students. But, you know, you would think, well, 850, 1,200. But not all of you were here last Sunday. Not all of you will be here next Sunday. So quite honestly, instead of 1,200, the number's probably 2,400 or 2,800. I don't know what it is. And so suddenly you start saying 850 out of 2,500. You're talking about maybe one in three. One in three. Does that have implications? Yes, it has huge implications. We we have every week about 500 volunteers serving in some capacity. Now, some of them serve more than once, but they're, they're serving. But there are actually fewer folks because some of them serve more than once. And the truth is, if we just took the things we know we need to do as bare minimum, we need at least 630. 630. That means right now, 
this coming week, if nothing changes, we're going to have a gap of over 100 volunteers from what could happen. Why is that? Because some don't feel like their part matters or don't feel like they have something to give or they don't feel like they didn't know they needed to be good stewards of what's been entrusted to them. And here's the thing. We could use more than 630. There's more that we want to do in terms of congregational care, in terms of missions, in terms of small groups. Recently, we had to consolidate and, and, and bring together some of our rooms in the nursery. Because when this, these two families were up here holding their babies, we didn't have at times enough. Now you would think, man, everybody wants to hold a baby. Now, I don't know, everybody doesn't. You don't want, I mean, I, I, I really am not probably the right person to hold your baby. Um, I held mine, and, and I'm grateful they're alive. Okay? But some of you holding a baby, it's just, it's second nature for you. And God's saying, you know what? If I made you to do that, you may discount it, but it is incredibly important because it might be the only break a single mom has this week. It might be that that warmth just continues to build a confidence and assurance in that baby that they're loved. It has huge implications. If you look at your calendar, and if you look at your checkbook or your credit card statement, that will tell you what really matters to you. And here's the thing. If, if the church gets one hour a week, if it's lucky, if God gets none of your time each day, except maybe when you're having a problem and you shoot up a 911 prayer, where's the priority? How are you using what has been entrusted to you in a God-honoring way? when you may not even know what that way is because you haven't talked to him. So here, here's a fairly easy way to think about it. Maybe to help you, just take one step. We use the phrase around here sometimes, but we probably need to use it more. Worship one, serve one. We have a 9.30 service, we have an 11 o'clock service. Worship one hour, serve one hour. Look, you drove up here, you, you went to the trouble, most of you took a shower, you know, you, you expended the gas to get here. You're here. Now, if you leave right after the service, go home, and come back later, that's great. But if you're up here, and you just tack on another hour, that's not the, that's not the hardest thing in the world. And you can make a huge difference. You really can. You really can. I don't want to, I don't want to de-emphasize it. I don't I, I I'm not going to say I will personally see the difference. I don't know if I will or not. But God will. And there's going to be some parent or some person walking up and you're going to smile at them as they're walking up or you're going to help them find a place to park their car or you're going to pray with them and it's going to change their day. I've shared with you about our situation, but the truth is it's, it happens in a lot of churches. But what gets overlooked is really the blessings we experience in serving. Studies have shown, certainly for retirees, if retirees who volunteer live longer. 
most of us aren't retirees yet, but it, volunteering makes a difference. It's good for the heart. Gives us a sense of value and, and accomplishment, knowing that we are of use of service to God and being used to accomplish his purposes and grows us spiritually. And, and, and we experience a wonder-filled life when we serve for Christ's sake. God created us to serve, and, and there is a place for each and every one of us in here today to make a difference here at Gateway. And if this is your church home, you need to be serving, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. doesn't have to be every week. doesn't have to be every month, but you need to do that. And inside your bulletin, middle inside, it says down at the bottom third, Gateway Servanthood, and there's a QR code. And you can, before you walk out of here, in just a minute, you take your phone out, scan that, and it'll take you straight to an application to serve. Or you can take your Connect card, write your name, write your email address, and right at the bottom, it says, I want to, and on the right-hand side, it says, serve at Gateway. And take it out, right out these two doors, there's a couple of tables, and you can drop it off there, and someone will contact you. Or if you want to talk to somebody, we have some of our ministries here today, Gateway Kids, Students, Missions, Hospitality, and one or two others, and they're going to be right out here, and go to one of those tables, and just talk to them. Check it out. But... Do something. We have chosen at this church to make servanthood of value because, not just because we need to get stuff done, but because we believe God has set that apart as a tool he uses to grow you and me spiritually. And our mission at Gateway is to lead everyday people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And we cannot do that if you don't serve. Serving is a critical component of our faith. God, God created you and me for this, and there's nothing he desires more than to say to you and me at the end of our days, well done, good and faithful servant. Winston Churchill said, we make a living through what we get. We make a life through what we give. So I want to encourage you, don't leave today without a commitment. At least 150 of you, really, at least 150. So don't look to the person next to you and think it's up to them to do something. God bless you. Do something. Don't leave without doing something today. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.